3,500 feet to go up to Jerusalem over these next 20 miles. Um, this is not exactly the location of Jericho in the Old Testament. Uh, it's one or two miles away. That's, that's been uninhabited even by, by Jesus' time for a long time. Uh, this new Jericho is, uh, was actually gifted by Mark Antony to Cleopatra, uh, where Jesus is now. Um, they died about 30 years before Jesus' time, uh, so not too long before this. It actually came under uh, Herod the Great's rule. So that's where they are. Uh, it's easy to read over these familiar accounts quickly and um, think that we know the simple facts, the simple, very simple story in one way, the dealing with Bartimaeus. Um, and I hope we'll see some rich truths to think about in this account this morning. Uh, but here are also just a couple of special things about this healing uh, in Mark's account. Uh, the first is just to note that of all of the healings in the Synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, uh, this is the only one where the person is named uh, that Jesus heals, uh, Bartimaeus. And uh, Mark gives us, uh, somewhat amusingly, maybe the, the, the translation of Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus. Uh, Bar is Semitic for son, or son of, and Timaeus is a, is a Greek name. So it's kind of a, a funny mashup of, of a Semitic and, and Greek uh, word. But Often, not necessarily usually, but often the Bible names are, are not necessarily someone's actual given name, the name on the birth certificate, if you will, uh, but, but designations. They tell us something about the significance of this person or their, or their place in this account or in uh, what the Bible is teaching us. Uh, think of the only parable that Jesus names someone in, the rich man Lazarus. Lazarus means the one God helps, and that helps us to Parable. Think of the end of the Gospels. Jesus is, is sort of, uh, just before his crucifixion, sort of traded with the crowds for Barabbas. There's that bar, again, Barabbas just means son of the father. No one's, no one's called son of the father. It, it, it's probably um, uh, prompting us to think about this, this son of the father who lives and the son of the father who dies. Anyways, uh, it's quite possible that Bartimaeus uh, is a designation given by Mark to help us see something of the significance of this event. Uh, there's, a, there's a painting that I, I trust probably all of you have seen many times in your life, if you're over maybe 10 years old or so. Um, it's 500 years old. It's, it's a fresco by Raphael. Actually, it's, it's in the Vatican uh, still, I believe. Um, and it, the title is The School of Athens. So some of you will be able to picture that. Um, if you can, you, you've seen it. If you saw it, you recognize it. It's, it's big archways and Greek architecture, and then um, all the famous philosophers of the ancient world are pictured in this picture, the School of Athens. And uh, in the middle is Plato and Aristotle talking together. And they're both holding books. And uh, the book that Plato is holding is uh, Raphael wrote the, the title of the book on the uh, on the binding there in Plato's hand. It's called Timaeus. Uh, it's one of his most famous works. Um, it, it's generally referred to as the Timaeus, with this dialogue with, with the main character called Timaeus. Um, and historians, and, and, and the Timaeus is, is largely about seeing, about seeing rightly and, and um, 
emphasize its site. Historians believe that this work, this Emmaus, was would probably have been the best known. Uh, Plato was long before Jesus, right? His painting is long after Jesus, but Plato lived long before Jesus. That uh, this work, this Emmaus, would have been the best known or maybe the only work known by, by some common, you know, the commonly educated people in that day. And so it's an intriguing theory that, that this man is designated a son of Timaeus, uh, a son of Gentile philosophy, maybe. Um, you know, the art of seeing the world through the eyes of the smartest people in the ancient world, who then sees and gives himself to Jesus. The son of Timaeus, who's blind, uh, meets Jesus and he sees and follows Jesus. So, an interesting thing to think about. Another thing I want just to note about this uh, this healing is we still have six chapters, six whole chapters to go in the Gospel of Mark, a uh, relatively short gospel compared to Matthew and Luke. Um, but this is where Jesus does his final uh, miracle uh, of healing. There are no other miracles of here of healing for the rest of the Gospel of Mark. And I just wanted to, because of that, um, consider again the, the, the function of miracles. Uh, how many function Jesus miracles as we say this last one of the gospel here? These, these are real, real acts of compassion and help that Jesus gives to people. But, but that's never the ultimate point or the ultimate goal. Uh, Jesus' miracles point to spiritual realities. They, they confirm and illustrate Jesus' authority. Uh, they confirm and illustrate uh, his promises, his spiritual work. Uh, they were, God did that in, in, in special times throughout uh, redemptive history. We maybe have the sense, looking back, that um, God was for many, many years doing miracles among his people all through the Bible. Um, it was a common thing. It, it wasn't. There, there, there really are three, um, three fairly brief uh, windows through which God does miracles through these purposes in history. So he does through, so through Moses uh, to confirm Moses' word and, and authority. And he does so in the time of Elijah and Elisha. And then, again, through the time of Jesus and the Apostles. Um, we just just previously studied the rich young ruler last week. Um, think about how this functions in, in Jesus' ministry. The rich young ruler rejected Jesus' invitation to follow him. He, he couldn't see, if you will, the value of the kingdom of God, of Jesus himself. Uh, the, the passage we just jumped over that we'll come back to, Jesus explains his, his suffering and death to his disciples again. They still can't see uh, the significance uh, of what Jesus is saying. They, they can't see the call to discipleship as it really is. And so what story does Mark bring in at this point to powerfully illustrate for us what it means to see more clearly the salvation of Jesus and, and discipleship of Jesus? He brings in a blind man, right, who can see nothing physically in this world. It, it, it really makes you think of something like the, the, the emperor's new clothes, right, where uh, no one is able or willing to see what then a, a, a small, um, uneducated boy points out uh, to everyone. Um, where the rich young ruler and the disciples are blind, spiritually, this man sees. And what he sees, he's still, in varying degrees, blinded to. Um, 
divided by sin. We, we could use each of Jesus' healing miracles to illustrate the greater dangers or the greater effects of sin and greater miracles that Jesus does spiritually. So he heals lepers, right? lepers who are infected with this horrible corruption that separates them from everyone else. It certainly illustrates for us the way Jesus blended us and uh, reconciles us uh, from our separation from God. Jesus heals the lame. Certainly points us to think about the debilitating effects of sin and over against the, the way that we've been created to live for God, that Jesus heals us in. Uh, Jesus raises the dead. Uh, the, the very wages of sin are, are literally death. Um, Jesus raises us to new life, spiritually and physically. Jesus uh, creates the demon possessed, pointing to his authority and power over slavery of and bondage to sin. And Jesus heals the blind. And the Bible is full of pointing to the blindness that sin causes, to eyes being opened. Uh, Paul in, in 2 Corinthians 4 says, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. That, that, this figurative language of opening eyes and moving from darkness to light is is all over the New Testament, and Jesus' teaching as well. In Luke chapter 1, Zechariah's prophecy of Jesus, who was uh, Jesus' birth, um, he says he's coming to give light to those who sit in darkness. Uh, John chapter 8, Jesus himself says, I am, what, the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. Uh, John 9, Jesus says, For judgment I came to this world, that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. John 12, I have come into the world as light, so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. So we could give many other examples as well. So, in terms of the New Testament of Jesus' teaching, to have faith in Jesus is to see rightly, to see the world, to see ourselves uh, rightly, whether we can see physically at all or not. So, Jesus' miracles illustrate his authority, his power, his, his greater spiritual realities. Um, I just want to make the point as well, that's not to say, I'm not saying that Jesus' miracles are merely illustrating something else, something that's more important. Um, the healing of our bodies is important. Jesus cared about that, cared about that. Um, Jesus' miracles point to our total salvation. It includes physical and spiritual. He came to uh, restore spiritual understanding and physical sight, to, to free us from our sins and from demonic influence. Um, ultimately, he came to, to restore everything. All these things are included in our salvation, ultimately. We're not, we're not dualists, right, as biblical Christians. As, as, uh, we're not dualists like other religions are, that, that see the physical as bad and spiritual is good, or see the physical just as, as less important, and, and the spiritual of the soul, that's what's really important. That's not Christian, uh, biblical thinking. Um, creation, Paul says, creation groans uh, for, for restoration. Um, I've said before, there, there can be an overemphasis in Christian circles, uh, in, in a certain way, on heaven. Uh, on getting to heaven as if that is our final home, as if this 
this embodied state, uh, that's it. Um, that, that's not our final state, right? It's, it's glorious, it's perfect, it's in the presence of God. Um, but it's a holding place, if you will, glorious as it is, where we wait for the resurrection, we wait for the restoration uh, of this earth. Um, full salvation. Uh, God's redemption is not merely escaping this life, uh, escaping this world. Um, Jesus' miracles again were, were for his time, his place, uh, God's purposes of attesting to him and to his authority, to his power. Um, he is, God's not now doing miracles uh, through his people uh, of healing, uh, and yet his miracles still attest to us of this care uh, that he has for his people spiritually and physically to our total redemption one day. So, in the fact that Jesus' miracles point us to this total salvation, let's consider four aspects of that salvation that this, this passage points us to this morning. So, looking at number one in your outline, um, Jesus comes, it passes by Bartimaeus, and we're told in verse 47, when he heard that it was Jesus, the Nazarene, he began to cry out and say, Son of David, have mercy on me. Uh, in other words, it wasn't a, a, a quiet, polite, you know, excuse me, sir. Uh, he's, he's crying out, screaming, perhaps, um, at Jesus to get his attention. Um, we can contrast this, again, with, with the story of the rich young ruler. Uh, he, he came to Jesus with some respect and statement and some eagerness, but he didn't see his need for help. And he ultimately refuses Jesus' suggestion, his, his counsel. Uh, but Bartimaeus knows his desperation. He knows his destitution, his de especially in the ancient world, his dependence, his utter dependence as a blind beggar. Jesus asks him what he wants him to do, and he answers to, to regain my sight. That, that points us to the fact that the first step in, in salvation, uh, salvation is always seeing your need for Jesus. We're not suggesting that blindness is good, but if it was put to eternal infinite good for the sake of Bartimaeus, right, that he would cry out to Jesus for help, that he would see his need. Right, we, we, might, um, we might suppose that the rich young ruler, who was healthy and could see and was young and powerful and wealthy, he might have benefited from some, um, he might have been better off in one sense from having some debilitating thing that would have helped him to see his need. I would have did it. And so I want to ask you this morning, do you see your need? Do you believe what the Bible says about it? Uh, do you believe that your sins are storing up, aside from God's grace, storing up for you wrath? Uh, with no escape, as Paul says, that Jesus is coming in judgment, that you'll stand in judgment before Christ one day for what you said, done, thought. If this has, for you, not been the gateway to understanding who Jesus is and why you need Jesus, what salvation even is, then you're not yet saved. There's no other understanding of why we need Jesus or, or what his salvation is. There's also a reminder here in this account, I think, that, that we ought to let the sufferings in our life 
point us to Jesus, drive us to him, to become more dependent on him, more grateful for his power to save, for his promises. Uh, a powerful example of that to me, uh, I was reading a while back the a biography of Adoniram Judson. Adoniram Judson was, um, he and his wife were really known as the first missionaries sent from America back out to, to another nation. So they went to Burma uh, in the early 19th century, early 1800s. And it was extremely slow going, difficult, uh, disease riddle uh, work. They saw uh, no fruit really from their ministry for years. Uh, and they, they then know how to, how to baby boy. And uh, Anne Judson, Adoniram's wife, uh, writes in, in letters about the fact that though they were firm in their faith and their calling, uh, this, this baby boy was such a delight. It was really the only outward joy that they had in life. And, and this little boy died before he was nine months old. But the incredible example I, I'm pointing to is, is, again, Anne, even in her grief, recording in her journal prayers that God would not let this tragedy be wasted. That he would, in, in old, older English usage, improve this in their lives. That he would use it for his glory. Uh, she, she records even greater recognition of her own sin through this tragedy. Our, our, our suffering also should, should drive us to Jesus, to see our dependence. Again, that's sort of the gateway to understanding our desperate need for God's grace, for the gospel. This, here, here, the warning of Jesus from Revelation chapter 3, where he says, For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing. Not realizing, Jesus says, that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. That needs to be our recognition. One uh, writer writes this uh, passage here in, in Mark chapter 10, The kingdom of God is not for the well-meaning, we see our need. Secondly, uh, seeing Jesus as Savior, Bartimaeus recognized Jesus as the one who could, could make him well. Uh, that's seen not only in his crying out to Jesus, but in the title that he gives to Jesus. Have mercy on me, Son of David. Uh, twice he calls him Son of David. Son of David is a, a messianic title. Uh, it, it's not something you just call out and, and refer to anyone that way. Um, this was a title that was uh, the Jews used for this, the heir to David's throne who was, who was going to come. The promised king was going to bring God's salvation. And the Jews at this time had not had a king for hundreds of years. They were waiting for that. The, 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 the triumphal entry in the next passage, people will speak similar things of Jesus. Um, but this man, Bartimaeus, seems to believe that Jesus is the son of David, the Messiah, and, and could heal him. And perhaps sees, if you will, what, what others cannot. And evidently that Jesus is more than just a teacher or a miracle worker, that he is Savior, Messiah. And uh, it, it's right that we be warned even in our day, in our culture, not to be deceived by a Jesus who is simply a life coach. Uh, Jesus is out there. Or a Jesus who wants to fulfill your dreams and make you happy. Jesus is out there, rather than a Savior, uh, to save you from your sin and make you holy. 
Well, thirdly, Lord demands is an example to us in his encounter with Jesus here also, in his placing faith in Jesus. Uh, Jesus draws attention uh, to his faith, which is here in a number of miracles Jesus does. So one reason to believe there's a lot more to this than just a happy story of, of physical healing. Um, he says the word man, your faith has made you well. In fact, that's, that's the word sozo, your faith has saved you. That, that's the word that's translated saved in the New Testament. You, and it can have a sense simply of healing someone, uh, or, or the or spiritual sense that we uh, would, would more often use that word saved. But Jesus' salvation is more than just physical healing. already noted Bartimaeus came to believe that Jesus was the Messiah, that he could do amazing things. Uh, but he has faith in him as the son of David, it seems. Uh, theologians historically helpfully have noted three aspects to, to true faith. Like I mentioned this not too long ago. The first is knowledge. Right? You, you know the facts. Uh, the second, though, is assent. You assent to those things. You say, I believe this is true. But even that's not enough. That's not biblical faith. The demons go that far. They have true orthodox knowledge about God. So the third aspect is trust. Right? Knowledge, assent, and trust. You, you stake your life on this truth. Uh, you lean on it. Uh, you claim it for yourself. And, and Bartimaeus is uh, sort of beginning uh, example of that too. Uh, one thing that I'd like to do someday, maybe, is skydiving. And it's one thing to have the knowledge of, of parachutes and what they can do. It's another thing to, to believe that that's true, uh, to believe the science and everything. It's, it's quite another thing to, to strap your life to one and, and jump out of an airplane. Right? Um, now, we don't have a fully developed theology here in Bartimaeus' interaction with Jesus of you know, confessing his total depravity and reaching out to God, reaching out to Jesus as a atoning sacrifice for his sins and so on. But nevertheless, this, this initial simple faith is a pointer to faith in Jesus in every way. Um, Jesus repeatedly commended the faith of, of some people he heals, where we don't have you know, a full a uh, full statement of, of the understanding of forgiveness of sins and justification and all of that. Uh, but, but he points out some people's faith, others he doesn't. Uh, or he laments lack of faith. Um, in Luke chapter 7, the woman who washed Jesus' feet with her tears and her hair, uh, Jesus said to her, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Uh, the woman who was bleeding, who came up and touched Jesus, that's the same thing. Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. Uh, the leper, Jesus healed the ten lepers in the Gospel of Luke. In one return, remember. Jesus said to him, Rise, go, your faith has saved you. Your faith has made you well. Uh, it, it's often true, maybe it's true of some of you here this morning, uh, that people come to Jesus initially with a faith that doesn't, doesn't know everything. Right? Maybe doesn't know much at all, but it's genuine, humble, and trusting and being drawn to Jesus. And that, that's simply the faith that Jesus asks for. That, the faith that he commends. It's a faith that will follow him, will learn um, 
all the details of, of salvation and all the reasons to follow Jesus even more. I think Bartimaeus came to scene especially in, in verse 48 where he had called out and then the crowds had, with Jesus had rebuked him. It, it's like the woman who came and washed her feet, washed Jesus' feet. Uh, the, the disciples tried to shoo her away. The parents who brought their children to Jesus disciples tried to shoo them away. Likewise with Bartimaeus. He cries out to Jesus and the crowds say, shut up. Jesus doesn't have time for you. Don't bother him. And yet, even though he's sort of the most vulnerable of people to abuse and so on, as a, as a blind beggar on the side of the road, this angry crowd yelling at him, he cries all the louder. He shouts even more. Uh, he knows that Jesus can help him. So, here's another example of Jesus responding to humble faith, to people who come to him in, in humility, with confidence that he can save. Part of this is not presented as an example of just a, someone Jesus responds to because he's a really good guy, or Jesus stopped because he was feeling bad for him. He's an example to us of faith. An example that whoever you are, whatever you've done, if you have full conviction that Jesus is who he says he is, that, that God's compassion and free grace are offered through him, you will be saved. What an incredible thing we might just miss in reading a simple account like this, a familiar story like this, is that the King of Kings, the Lord of Heaven, uh, the Judge of the Earth, is, is stopped in his tracks by a poor, insignificant man um, who is simply expressing faith. Fourthly, finally, this passage he points us to a following on the road. What I mean by that. To just briefly draw your attention to the first thing that we're told about Bartimaeus and the last thing we're told about him. Um, verse 46, we're told he was sitting by the road. And verse 52, finally he began following him on the road. So Bartimaeus began sitting by the road and then he's following on the road. Uh, chapter 10 has been full of references to the disciples and to the idea of discipleship. So the Revolutionary Rule. Is he going to be a disciple? Is he going to listen to Jesus and follow him? He doesn't. The next passage, are the disciples now really going to understand discipleship and the suffering that Jesus is talking about? They don't. They ask to be you know, the greatest in his kingdom. Um, I would suggest that this simple account is, is the climax of Mark's presentation of discipleship. A man who sees his desperate need Rise up to Jesus and then follows a simple illustration of what discipleship is. True faith leads to desperately reaching out and following. One commentator comments, faith that does not lead to discipleship is not saving faith. Whoever asks of Jesus must be willing to follow Jesus. Even on the uphill road to the cross, which is which is where they're headed now. So I just want to ask you this morning, are you on the road? You're really on the road. The question is not whether you know who Jesus is or believe something about him, believe that he gives good things. The question is not whether you pray to him or whether you come to worship. Are you a disciple? Are you really on the road? Are you following him? Even if that road is, is uphill, out of Jericho, to, uh, to suffering and, and 
arguments before the Lord? Are you seeing Jesus clearly in that sense? Well, as we close this morning, I, I want to ask you to just join me as I uh, pray the words that Paul prayed for the Ephesians uh, at the beginning of his letter. Um, particularly the, the part where he speaks of having our eyes, asks about having our eyes of our hearts and love. So listen carefully, carefully these words, make these words. Uh, pray with me. Paul's words. Our Father in heaven, we pray that you, the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, give us a spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of him, having the eyes of our hearts enlightened, that we would know what is the hope to which you have called us, what are the riches of your glorious inheritance in the saints, what is the immeasurable greatness of your power toward us who believe, according to the working of your great might that you worked in Christ, you raised him from the dead, seated him in your right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. Lord, we pray that you would open our eyes to see and hope in this this morning, to respond in joyful worship. We pray in Christ. Amen.